This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and back in the saddle with me this evening is Mr. Macaraccio. Matt, welcome back. A lot to catch up on in the last two weeks since we spoke. No, absolutely. And, and so much football, so many great performances, so many players constantly emerging and also just showing us that uh, they, they've been there the whole time. And uh, we just need to stand up and take notice of it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Let's just get started. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think this is the week nine NFL draft report. Like that, that just sounds crazy that we're going to be looking at, you know, the week nine draft report, previewing week 10 of the college football season, reviewing and recapping week eight of the NFL season. I mean, where has the year gone already? It's just absolutely crazy. So let's get into the NFL draft report for week nine and let's start at the quarterback position because uh, last week when you weren't on the show, uh, Kane and I talked a lot about Joe Burrow. It was just a couple episodes ago that me and you were talking about, you know, could he be emerging into a guy that maybe pushes his way in the consideration for top 50, somewhere in round one. And now the talk over the last two weeks is, is that he's emerged and pushed himself into the QB2 range with some even saying he could push Tua to be QB1. I mean, this week, another fantastic performance by him, 32 of 42, 321 yards and a touchdown. This week, you know, obviously LSU with the big win over Auburn. There's not much to say about Joe Burrow right now. He has done everything possible to elevate his stock this year. We knew he had the athleticism. We knew he had the arm talent. We knew the scheme in the past was holding him back. I just didn't think with a new scheme and let him open it up, I didn't think we were going to see the development that we've seen in his decision-making, his accuracy at all three levels of the field, his ability to go through progressions. I mean, and the thing I keep coming back to, his ability to keep his eyes down the field and sliding in the pocket. You know, that's a that's a veteran move that you see the, the, the NFL great quarterbacks do with regularity. And we've seen it a lot from Joe Burrow this year. So he really is one of those guys that is making full opportunities opportunity of his of his chance that he's got, been given this year and he's really rising to the moment do you see anything with Joe Burrow in his game that is there reason to slow down the hype or is the hype truly warranted and he just a guy that you know has shown that we follow these guys for so long I mean you're following them from when you watched our high school film that sometimes there are instances where guys kind of slip through the cracks a little bit and maybe don't emerge as soon as maybe people would expect them to. And is that just one of these cases that it took Burrow a little bit longer to put it all together and, and part of that scheme just didn't really maybe let him showcase his, his, his talent and ability? Well, I mean, I'm going to kind of answer this in one way that's going to disappoint listeners and maybe in another way get us all to think a little bit. And what I'm going to say is, is that, you know, in terms of – you know, getting a good grasp of the totality of Joe Burrows's game. Um, I, you know, I've watched a ton of LSU this year. Um, definitely impressed. But you know, in terms of the nuances, in terms of the types of problems, where he excels, where he's he's showing that he is competent, where he may need to still develop. You know, I'm not really there yet on those types of issues quite yet. But I mean, in terms of being able 
to to wonder whether or not a player can suddenly you know emerge and people want to start pointing fingers i mean today i actually did something really interesting if if you get a chance to look at my header now on twitter uh, I changed my header on my Twitter to, uh, it, it's a little weird. You, you might look at it and you might say, you know, what is it? It looks like a, it looks like, it looks like a really bad Rorschach test. Like what, what were you doing? Um, it, it's because, you know, right now I'm just, you know, really interested in and really trying to learn a lot of, as much as I can about complexity, as much as I can about dynamical systems and, you know, kind of the way the human body understands what's going on. And a lot of it is rooted in this, you know, kind of theory of nonlinear dynamics and things like that. And Anyway, yada, yada, yada sounds like a lot of complicated jargon. What, what, what does it really mean? What it means is, is that there's a lot of research and a lot of mathematical um, precedents for a complex dynamical system, such as a human being playing football on a, in a very complex game, like, you know, like the sport of football is. There's a lot of precedence for the idea of self-organization, the idea that sometimes you just reach a new plateau of ability when everything just kind of aligns itself, when the environment changes, when the receivers around you change, uh, all of a sudden you had a really good meal that day, your health is on the right track, everything happening around you just collectively kind of unifies itself and you begin to reach new plateaus and new levels of performance. It's part of what makes complex systems. It's a characteristic of a complex system that we have to be aware of. And guys, the human body, listen, we can, we can say that, you know, everything I'm saying right now is just over, you know, is over complicating the obvious. It's not, it's not, it gives reason and it gives background to it. Yes. Can a player suddenly change environments? Can they grow, change physically, change environments, change personnel around them and suddenly see a new level of performance become embedded as their way of playing? Yes. Yes. There's precedence all throughout different areas of science, complexity science, all throughout movement science and skill acquisition, even validated by mathematics itself that this is very much a part of what it means to have a complex system. This is a characteristic of it. So, you know, we want to point fingers at maybe what Alabama wasn't or what those receivers weren't, or maybe, you know, not Alabama, excuse me, or what Ohio State wasn't and what they didn't do for him and maybe what LSU didn't do last year. But you know what? That idea, that old cliche of a right time, a right moment, and you can suddenly change everything that happens in front of you. That's real. And I think Joe Burrows is just maybe capitalizing on that in a way that maybe we weren't prepared for, but in a way that we shouldn't be surprised if it did happen. So I would say that that's something where any player can suddenly, you know, reach new plateaus of performance if all the circumstances around them afford them that opportunity to do so. It is not without precedent. In fact, it's backed up by research on many, many different levels. So I think it's something to pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think I think you're spot on there. And I think this year he's one of the, he's one of a handful of guys who I think we have seen that this year. And it, it, it's come to fruition. And listen, they still he's still got a game against Alabama and maybe an SEC championship and maybe the playoffs or a bowl game. So we're gonna still see more opportunities for Joe Burrow, but 
every time I've watched him play, it's I've just came away more and more impressed. And he wasn't a guy that you know. Some people looked at him in in the summer and thought he was a UDFA or or late day three. I watched him in the summer and I did see some stuff that I liked about his game. You know, when the scouting notebook you know came out right around Labor Day, I had a late day two, early day three grade on him. So for me, he's 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 emerged. But he hasn't came from like a UDFA round seven guy to be in my top, you know, handful of prospects for this class. He's a guy who came who I thought had a shot to be in the back top, the back end of the top 100 or early on day three. So he he's not making as dramatic of a jump as I think some people might look at it as because I do think I do think some people had him already as a guy who could have been in the back end of that top 100. But with that said, I don't think anybody was looking at him as a guy with just who had upside, who had some potential, but I don't think anybody saw him maybe pushing himself into the top five, top one, top 10 mix as, as what Joe Burrow has done this year. And it's been remarkable. So, I mean, we could, we could talk about him every episode and go really in depth on him. And we will circle back to him many more times. I do want to take this over to Jalen Hurts though. Obviously Oklahoma suffered a bad loss this weekend. Jalen Hurts still impressive though. Peranger 95 yards and one touchdown, 96 yards rushing and three touchdowns. He was another guy that I talked a lot at length last week with Kane about when, when he filled in for you. And the consensus seems to be building. I heard Dane Brugler really recently talk about it, that Jalen Hurts is starting to be looked at as a quarterback prospect at the NFL level. Maybe not a first-round guy, but he's starting to get talked about as maybe a guy who could go on day two. I mean, that is also a dramatic rise up for where, what people, I mean, it was in the summer that there was most people were looking at Jalen Hurts and said, listen, probably going to be a positional switch. But we've seen the success of Lamar Jackson at the NFL level and who's still developing as a passer in a lot of ways. And it's got to intrigue NFL teams to look at Jalen Hurts, see what he's been able to do in a scheme that has been established for him there at Oklahoma. And there has to be NFL teams looking at that and saying, could he have that success at the NFL level? And worst case scenario, maybe he could be a backup for our starter and maybe he could develop down the line. I mean, if a team invests a second, a day two pick, they're probably thinking about maybe developing him and eventually giving him a shot to be the starter and seeing if that dual threat capabilities, you know, could work for him also at the next level, similar to what has happened with Lamar Jackson this year. So any, any thoughts on Jalen Hurts now being looked upon as maybe a legitimate quarterback prospect, even though we all do know there's still aspects of this quarterback play and how he handles those problems on the field and situations that need more development and progression, but takes on, on Jalen Hurts maybe now being looked at as a quarterback prospect in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not too surprised. I mean, I think what you're starting to see is that kind of, you're kind of, you're starting to see though that grassroots movement in the NFL amongst the coaches where they're looking at the totality of their team being as important as any individual player. And I think you're going to get a handful of teams with the success of Josh Allen, with the success of Lamar Jackson. Um, I think you're going to get more and more teams willing to take a shot on those, let's say, let's say not exceptionally accurate passers, but um, but capable passers that also add value in terms of their ability to extend the play or to play off structure, whatever you want to call it, on the run, being able to move, being able to make their offensive line better, 
by being able to kind of augment those angles of blocking. Also, maybe just being able to say, hey, the players around us, you know, you look at Baltimore, you're like, hey, you know what? We got it. We could, we could have a pretty good functional running game. We got some, you know, we got two tight ends that can catch the football. Um, you know, we don't really need to necessarily throw deep. And when we do, we can kind of live with the, the, you know, the 40, you know, the 40% chance or so, uh, or less of that happening and being complete. So, you know, we, we can, we can structure a team that makes this player's strengths stronger. And yet we still have players that can compensate or can reinforce what some of their weaknesses may be in order to put up a really good offense overall. We don't. We would love to have Patrick Mahomes, and we would love to have Russell Wilson. Um, but you know, I mean, if we'll, we'll take we'll take seventy percent of that and take Josh Allen. You know, we'll take seventy five percent, maybe eighty percent, maybe more than that, and and we'll take uh, Lamar Jackson. And we think we can build a competent team on both sides of the ball and special teams and overall play that we can you know spread a field pretty thin and make teams really compete with us. I think Jalen Hurts is going to be somebody's kind of like uh, approach to drafting Josh Allen. I think it's going to be that type of approach. Let's take him and see where we go, you know, and, and maybe he's our guy. Maybe he's not for the long haul, but we're, we're willing to invest in that price range and, and see where we can go with that. So I, I think it's, I think it's maybe as much about Jalen Hurts emergence as it is the, also the transformation of the NFL offensive mindset into being more of a total offense and what we can do to totally threaten the field from every aspect, from running to RPOs to you name it, I think that could be a part of it as well. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm right there with you. I think 100% that you know he's now being looked upon, and I think it's equally his talent and what he brings and equally how the NFL game has changed. And listen, I think he's now got a legitimate shot to be a quarterback, at the next level, but even if he's not, I mean, look at look at the impact that Taysom Hill has for New Orleans every yeah. time he comes on the field. You know, he's a he's he's developed he's a into a yeah he's developed into this unique offensive weapon, and we know the NFL is a copycat league. That in worst case scenario, teams yeah. might say, "Yeah, we're willing to invest a second or third round pick. Maybe he continues his progress and development as a quarterback prospect." But worst case scenario, if that doesn't happen, he could at least be this unique offensive weapon like a Taysom Hill. He's got that capability in his toolbox to do that. And that's what makes it so intriguing of a prospect. And I, and I just, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to go with you, but I just don't know if the NFL five, 10 years ago was ready for a guy like Taysom Hill. No. I don't even think they would have reflected. You know what I mean? Like, that's part of it. You know, Taysom, like, I mean, know? Not a knock on Taysom Hill, but he would have been playing in the Canadian League. He would have been playing in the CFL. No, he's not. He's not. He in the, been, he's not in the NFL right now. Yeah, he would have been playing in the Arena League. He would have been playing football somewhere, and he would have probably been a quarterback in whatever other environment that he might have been playing in. But he wouldn't be in the NFL. Probably they wouldn't. The creativity that we see now, at, at in some aspects at the NFL mm-hmm. level, not not every team yet. Still, some teams uh, haven't really adapted and modified, but. I don't think he'd be in the NFL right now for sure. So so that's really all I had on the quarterbacks today. I mean, we've talked a lot about them. Obviously, as we move forward, there'll be a lot more discussion on Tua and Jordan Love and, and Justin Herbert, who some people seem to be down on right now, and Jake Fromm, whether or not he declares and or decides to go back to school. Uh, obviously, he's being looked at 
looked upon a little bit, you know, in the wrong light right now in terms of, you know, the, the overall Georgia season. Any any quick thoughts on the rest of the big guys or let's move this to the running backs? No, I, I, you know what? We can move over pretty quickly because I don't really have much to add here, but I'm just curious. Um, Shea Patterson, big game against Notre Dame. You know, yeah, or yeah. I mean, listen, we move the needle know, for anybody. We know that we've we're we've probably been his biggest fans out there, and that's not saying a lot because we're not head over heels for him. We we've, we've always been intrigued by his skill set. We we both at nauseum said that we think he made a very poor decision in terms of his college choice when he transferred from Ole Miss, which that system and scheme probably would have been substantially better for a player of his skill sets and talents. Uh, he still intrigues me though. He's still, you know, I, I'm not, not to the point where I think he can maybe be a starting quarterback, but I still look at him and think that he has enough athleticism, mobility and arm talent to maybe play at the next level. And maybe he starts out as a practice squad or, or third stringer, you know, but I mean, Brandon Allen's about to start a football game at the NFL level for the Broncos this week. Yeah. I mean, that's my point. Yeah. So, so like, so if Brandon Allen could be a starter and work, you know, obviously for circumstances, you know, Drew Locke is still coming back from injury. Joe, Joe Flacco's injured. But it, it just gives you an opportunity that Brandon Allen has been bouncing around, and and nothing, no knock on Brandon Allen. There, there were aspects of his game that I I think are were were and are intriguing. But most people, you know, didn't look at him as a guy that would ever get a real opportunity to to be a starter in the NFL. And I'm not saying he's going to be more than a spot starter for one or two games, but it just kind of shows you though that there there can be guys that can kind of get to the NFL level, you know, kind of bounce around or, or be in a practice squad, you know, and then kind of work their way up. I still think Shea Patterson has some raw tools. Uh, does he ever get an opportunity? I don't know. I mean, I think that was more about the overall lack of offense for Notre Dame, a great defensive effort by Michigan. Uh, then, then it specifically was about Patterson, but he got the job done. He did what he had to do in that game. He showed signs, you know, and showed some glimpses of, of that playmaking ability that, that both you and I liked. Uh, he's interesting. He's an interesting guy. I think he's had a lot more downs than ups at his time at Michigan, and that's going to hold him back in the public perception. But I do think if you look beyond the box scores and you look beyond, uh, you know, production, I do think there is a player there that, that does have some skill set and some uniqueness about him that I think an NFL team could be a little bit intrigued to get him in camp, even maybe as a UDFA or a late round pick uh, and see what they got with this guy. So yeah, that's kind of where I am with Shay. So let's take this to the running backs. A couple things right off the bat. I put out a tweet this weekend and I wanted to kind of get your take on it. That is it crazy to state a statement that Cam Akers is the second most well-rounded all around back in this really great potential 2020 draft class, because you look at him and besides DeAndre Swift, I'm not sure there's another running back in this class that makes an impact in both the pass game and the running game that we like to see. And it's not just, he could run legitimate routes. There's always, you know, it was a conversation a couple weekends ago on a Saturday about a lot of running backs could just 
be a check down option, catch a dump off, you know, a flare, a screen pass. But Cam Akers, like DeAndre Swift, I think could legitimately run routes, be a weapon in an Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey type way in terms of the pass game. Maybe not at the level of those three guys. I literally just rattled off the best three in the NFL. But maybe after that, the Tariq Cohen, the David Johnsons are very good receiving backs as well. I watch Cam Akers, and I still think he's one of the more well-rounded, all-around backs in this class, uh, and right near the top of DeAndre Swift. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, I think I think we have to insert J.K. Dobbins into that discussion, not just because of the weekend that he had, which was phenomenal, obviously, but you know, I think you have to incur, you know, put J.K. Dobbins in there as well, um, just because of what he can do in terms of being a receiver and catching the football as well as, you know, playing on the run. But I no, I, I, I think I think this is what it comes down to. I, I think we could say that there are problems, that there are players that they can solve better than other players. Like, you know, I think Jonathan Taylor can solve certain problems a bit better than Cam Akers, and Cam Akers can solve certain problems that Jonathan Taylor can. And we can have that discussion at nauseum. I think it what it comes down to is what you said and led with, which was all-around game and all-around versatility. I, I don't... I think Cam Akers' potential, and we said this during our way-too-early mock draft where it was literally reprehensible on both our ends for not having Cam Akers. I think we had him at number 11. Is that right? We got him at number 11. We totally forgot about him. <laughs> and like we, we, we did a massive mea culpa during that episode, if I recall correctly, about how we just lost track of that. And the reason why is because this is the same player – that I remember tweeting out when Dalvin Cook was coming out of Florida State saying, hey, you know, the guy coming in might be better than Dalvin Cook. Now think about that for a moment. Think about where Dalvin Cook is right now in the NFL. And remember where he was coming out when it was coming out of Florida State. I was sitting there literally, I can remember on my couch, you know, writing this down after having watched Cam Akers in high school, spring games, you name it. I was like, and Cam Akers could be better than Dalvin Cook. What if Cam Akers is the best running back that Florida State is going to have? I mean, that alone will make your eyebrows, you know, like just singe with fire because of just how crazy that might sound. But now when you kind of get a chance to see his kind of arc, his story arc, his development arc, what you saw is we didn't really appreciate how raw he was as a running back. He was making a switch from quarterback to running back. And I think we took a lot for granted in terms of the types of things that his athleticism could kind of make up for. And they did. They made up for a great amount of him. He had a great freshman year. But then we saw a little bit of a down year in his sophomore year as he had to do probably probably there was more complex problems that he had to solve because of the lack of offensive line play in front of him. The, the ability to read and perceive what types of blocks or what types of, you know, um, what types of, you know, interference there might be in front of him was really difficult. So you saw him having to really solve probably more complex problems than he was used to, you know, as a running back last year. And now this year, you know, he's got a little bit more experience under his belt. He's solved more problems. He's gotten a little bit better. He's developing his skill. And now we see this kind of rebounding, you know, and, I personally think that in terms of what he can bring in terms of the passing and running game, I still think it's DeAndre Swift number one. I, I won't I won't leave that train. And I think you're really, really, really hard pressed to tell me that one of the following three players is 
at least tied or your outstanding number two. And I'm going to say it's going to be, it's either JK Dobbins, it's going to be Cam Akers, or I could see you arguing for still for Jonathan Taylor. I could see those three guys being in that discussion. And for me, I think it's a two horse race. I think it's either Cam Akers or JK Dobbins, in my opinion. Those would be my guys that I'm fighting for number two. I agree. I understand the Travis Hetian people out there. I understand where they're coming from. I hear everybody barking from the, you know, the Chubba Hubbard sidelines and people that are barking about Jonathan Taylor and everything those guys bring. And, and I understand that. But all I'm going to say is look at the Christian McCaffrey's, the Alvin Kamara's, the Dalvin Cooks. Look at the guys who are flourishing in the NFL. Those guys are absolutely versatile athletes. They can do a lot of things. I think Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, um, those players, I think, bring that to mix. Jo- Joe Mixon, if he had a little bit of a better situation, would be in there as well. I think those guys are your next level of players coming up. I, I, that's who I would kind of, that's who I'm putting my money on in my draft, if you're asking me. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's a fascinating conversation, and it's going to be interesting to see how what the NFL thinks of this, because it seems to be that the draft Twitter community has put Jonathan Taylor immediately near the top of that list with DeAndre Swift, but it's going to be fascinating because, you know, you look at the guys, the, the running backs that have gone in the early part of round one over, over the last however many years. In hindsight, the Jaguars probably regret Leonard Fournette. He doesn't have the, he doesn't do the, I mean, he's having a great year this year, but the impact in terms of building an offense, you know, and, and the ways that he can win on the football field, I don't think is representative of using a top 10 pick. You look at Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Todd Gurley prior to him, maybe having some knee issues that it seems to have slowed him down. Ezekiel Elliott. These guys are special, special players that could impact the game. But we've seen guys like Richard Penny go in round one, you know, two years ago, which was a little bit of a head scratcher. We saw Sony Michelle go in round one. So I do think there's a scenario where it's been a little different lately. Before I saw Sony Michelle and, and Richard Penny go in round one, I would have looked at a guy like Jonathan Taylor and I would have said, he's going to go top to middle of round two, because right now he is a little bit of a one dimensional of he doesn't fit the mold of what I think the modern day NFL running back, perfect dream build scenario is. But now we saw Penny, we saw Sony Michelle and those guys weren't great receivers. They were average receivers at best, even in college. And they, and that part of their game hasn't even translated to the NFL. So, so I do think Jonathan Taylor still could be in the mix for a round one. I think Cam Akers, maybe if he doesn't get up there, I still think he should be a day two pick due to his all around game and versatility. And I love that we keep bringing up JK Dobbins because people just continue to be sleeping on this guy, his toughness and physicality, He's tougher and more physical than people give him credit for. I think people somehow have pigeonholed him to be like a space player. And I think that's a very false representation of his skill set. Do you really, do we need more than the LSU? Is it done now? Because I feel like after that LSU type of like, do we need any more? Yeah. I mean, I, I, maybe I, I, I just feel like, I just feel like JK Dobbins should be getting looked at very similarly to 
at the NFL level, a Devontae Freeman type player. He can run in between the tackles. He can run outside. He can play in space. He can run with power and finishing ability when needs to. He doesn't have this elite long speed or great long speed. So what? A lot of great running backs at the NFL level don't have that. So maybe J.K. Dobbins runs a 4-5-5. Is that really a big deal? Josh Jacobs, who's doing great this year, ran a 4-5-2. Alvin Kamara ran a 4-5-3, I think it was, or a 4-5-1. So it's not like J.K. Dobbins is going to run a 4-7. He's probably going to run like a, you know, a 4-5 to 4-5-5. Like, okay, so he doesn't have elite breakaway speed, but so many of these other great players don't either. But he ca- he's got phys- physicality. He's got toughness. He's got finishing ability. He's got short area bursts. He's got quickness. He's got change. He's got change of direction and agility. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He, if he should be a day two pick all day, every day, plug him in and be a guy who can carry 16 to 18 and be a part of a backfield, 16, 17 touches and, you know, and work with someone else in, you know, collaboration and be an impactful player at the next level. And I still think Maybe there's some sexiness missing from him. Maybe there, maybe it's the lack of elite long speed. I, I don't know what it is about him. Maybe it was last year. People just got too much. You know, the, the offense was different last year. They built it around Dwayne Haskins and, and maybe people held JK Dobbins that against him a little bit, but. But I think he has shown this year what we what made many of us fall in love with him in his freshman year. I think he has shown that again this year. Well, if somebody said to me right now, and I and I, in Debbie leagues, I actually own T. Higgins because I got him early and I own him. Right? If somebody said to me, "I'll give you J.K. Dobbins for T. Higgins right now," I would do it. Yeah, and I think that speaks volumes of what I you would, think yeah. of J.K. Dobbins. And yeah, it does. It I, it does. I think getting J.K. Dobbins, you might be getting. I know this is going to be blasphemy, Paul. I think you might be getting another guy. Just, just it doesn't follow the same story arc, but it's similar. You could be very, getting a very similar, you know, Kamara esque type of player. You could have a guy of that caliber. I think he's that good. I think he could be that good. And I think that's not. I know people are going to say, "Well, that's lunacy." It's not, man. Watch him play in that game. You watch the last game he had against LSU, man. You watch how he wins. There's a variety of ways that he wins. He is a very, very skilled running back. I I, lo- I really have grown more and more, more and more in love with this guy over the course of this year. And I like Cam Akers, too. I keep struggling between those two guys. Absolutely. And a couple other guys real quick, guys, and then we'll move to wide receiver. Trevor Hubbard continued uh, to, to look good, 116 yards and one touchdown. I still have not brought him to the level of some other people. I still think wide open offenses in the Big 12 – uh, I like certain elements of his game. I think the NFL will be intrigued by his playmaking ability. Uh, but I, I don't see a guy. I see a guy who would definitely have to work in unison. I'm not sure he's a complete player in terms of being, you know, similar. This is what I'll say. Similar to how the Rams seem to view Darrell Henderson as a guy who they want to use in, in spurts and they, you know, they think he could be a 10 to 12 touch player and that I don't know if that's going to change in the future, but that's what, that's what everything they've been saying since the day of the NFL draft. That's what they keep saying. I can kind of see an NFL team thinking the same thing about Chubba Hubbard. I don't think they're going to look at him and think he's the, the only guy who can carry 18 to 20 touches, run inside, outside, run with power. I, I don't think that's Chubba Hubbard's game. Uh, Travis Etienne, 109 yards and three touchdowns. He, 
to me, him and Dalvin Cook, I see a lot of Dalvin Cook in terms of his explosion, acceleration, uh, stop and go. I don't think Dalvin Cook is, has great agility. I think his agility is probably average. His change of direction is probably average. I think Ethan's the same thing, but I think Ethan's got that calling card in terms of his burst acceleration. Uh, and, and I think Dalvin Cook has that as well. Uh, and then one under the radar guy we haven't talked about, Joshua Kelly has really been impressive for UCLA over the last couple of weeks. He's a guy I wrote up for the Scotty Notebook in the summer and watched him. He's a guy that th- there's nothing that stands out as a great to elite trait, but he's pretty functional to solid at just about everything. He can catch the ball. I mean, he's 5'11", 219, so he's got size to his game. He's a good space player. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's one of those guys that keep an eye on. He'll go in round five or six or seven, but he's a guy that might get an opportunity at some point because he's a very well-rounded player. He can play in the spread. He can, he can run between the tackles. He can be a weapon out of the backfield. So he's a guy that is not getting talked about a lot, but he might be a guy that in the pre-draft process gains a little momentum uh, in this deep running back class. So that kind of closes out the running backs. Let's take this to the wide receivers, Matt, and I'm going to kind of mention a bunch, and you pick one or two that you want to kind of get into, and then we'll uh, take it over to the Debbie slant. So guys that stood out for me this weekend, Michael Pittman and, and Tyler Vons, uh, they played, I think it was last Friday. Pittman had seven catches, 156 yards and two touchdowns. Vaughn, eight catches, 104 yards and one touchdown. Even with USC have kind of in a downward year this year, obviously losing their quarterback and stuff, Pittman and Vaughn, uh, Tyler Vons have continued to look good. Uh, so I think both of those guys' arrows are up in terms of their draft stock. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, nine catches, 170 yards in a touchdown, showing his big playability. He's still a unrefined receiver, but his athleticism and his raw tools is rare. So I think the NFL is going to be very intrigued by his overall game. C.D. Lamb in that game, I talked we talked about Jalen Hurts before, had 135 yards and one touchdown. Tylen Wallace, eight catches, 131 yards and one touchdown. Every time I watch a Tyler Wallace game or see highlights, he just looks like he has more explosion and burst than I even saw when I watched him in the summer. Uh, Devin Duvernay continues to just make big plays week in and week out for Texas. Eight catches, 173 yards and one touchdown. Those were the guys that kind of stood out to me this week, Matt. Any thoughts on any of those guys before we take this over to the Debbie slant and talk about some underclassmen? No, I think my I think Michael Pittman is a guy that I want to continue to make sure that everybody is aware of. It's somebody that I was really eager to see how he would come back this year. I know he was riddled with injuries uh, over the last couple of years, and we were kind of waiting to see whether or not he would reclaim that kind of stardom that he kind of infused in his career when he was like a you know a freshman. And sure enough, um, he really has, and he's been doing it you know twofold. And he's a player that I think when you watch, if you haven't watched Michael Pittman, um, I think you're going to be really impressed with him. I think he's a really impressive wide receiver. I think he can, he can adapt in the moment to the trajectory of passes. He has great body control, but he's also elusive in the open field. And he's also a load to bring to the ground, not because he's big and heavy, but because he's very, very, very good contact fidelity in the open field. He's not an easy target to bring down. So, I think Michael Pittman is a player for sure that I think needs to stay on everybody's radar. And Paul, I got to echo what you said about Tylen Wallace. Tylen Wallace, I just fear when I had him at number 10 that I was just too low on him. And every week I keep getting that reinforced in my, in my understanding of who he is as a player. 
I keep seeing more and more now that, man, I think I was too low on that guy. I got to keep pushing him up a little bit because not just because of what he does, but the variety of things that he can do, the variety of ways that he can win. And Jalen Rieger, it's nice to see him, by the way, starting to show again, you know, showing that even though TCU is struggling offensively, you know, just just get Rieger the ball and just like let him do his thing. And Jalen Rieger is showing that, you know, he can very much be a competitive part um, you know, of this particular wide receiver group. I mean, I, I still like him as my number two wide receiver, and that's a little bit different than maybe where some other people have him. But I, I like Jalen Rieger a lot. So it was nice to see him emerge as well and continue to start gaining some steam, especially at the, you know, at the point in this juncture in the year where we're kind of getting down the home stretch. So definitely three players that I really enjoy. So I, I'm excited. I can't wait to get going. Yeah, and and I, I'm glad you brought that up about production and, and stuff like that. I do think as a as a whole in the community, at times we we make changes to our rankings we let week in and week out performances dictate too much at times what we think of a player and especially the production component of it i think it's very much human nature to want to do that when a guy is barely producing up to his level of talent uh for whatever reason and other guys are just going off every single week i think it's hard to fight back of not making a, a, a significant switch. You know, Chubba Hubbard's just one guy. And and again, I'll go back and watch much closer than than just watching on TV at the end of the year. But like I feel like Chubba Hubbard is one example of a guy who has emerged up people's boards. And is it because they look at him and they think his skill set translates to the NFL greatly more now than what they thought before the year started? Or is it just because they're in awe of the stats he's putting up? But then the stats he's putting up has to be taken into the context of what is he doing? He's doing it in the Big 12 against these defenses with the teams, with the offense spread out so much and, you know, and that being opening wide rushing lanes. You know, LaVisca Chenault wasn't playing up to his standards. Jalen Rieger not playing up to his standards, not playing up to his production. So because there's other guys who are outperforming statistically, I think sometimes that seeps in a little bit too much into, you know, stock up, stock down. And, and I get it because we're, it's the instant, you know, it's the microwave world, the instant, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to make instant assessments week in and week out and we do it too. But, I mean, we literally have a segment every week called the NFL draft report talking about, you know, box scores a little bit and, and performances, but we try to look a little bit more bigger picture. And, and I think it's very important as the year is getting ready to the, you know, this, we're already in the second part of the year. And then as we start to really evaluate these guys in the pre-draft process is not to overvalue statistical production because I think we can I think we we can if we let that guide us too much I think we're missing out on things and I know me and you we try hard not to let it impact us too much but but I do think sometimes it, it just naturally happens and I think sometimes out there in the community there's so many great minds I do think sometimes I feel like I see it impact and people take too much of a negative stance on somebody 
and and maybe bump up somebody a little bit too much because of the week in and week out production. And I think sometimes we got to fight back a little bit on that and say, listen, it, there's a lot of circumstances that go into actual production. So I know that's something that we talk about a lot uh, off air. So it was something I kind of wanted to mention. So let's take this to the Debbie slant. I wrote down a couple names here of some underclassmen. They might be on your list. If if the, if not, you can touch upon any of them you want and then mention a few other guys. Brees Hall out of Iowa State, I talked about him a little bit last week. I let our listeners know that you had put up his profile uh, the from the freshman notebook on your Twitter handle. Him, Zach Charbonnet out of Michigan, Jamar Chase continuing to impress for LSU, and then Seth Williams out of Auburn. Those are the four guys that I had written down from this week. Uh, any thoughts on e- any of those four guys or any other guys you want to throw into the mix? Yeah, Seth Williams, I think, is somebody that continues to emerge in terms of his overall ability. It's somebody that we saw in the spring game. We saw him really kind of get into his own. Him and Bo Nick seem to have a chemistry. So Seth Williams, for sure, is a player that we need to keep on our radars as we move forward. He's definitely a player to watch. He's got that big body type of wide receiver um, that's capable of winning in those contested situations, but also shows some nuance and some ability in the open field. So he's definitely an exciting player to watch. Um, I, I think Brees Hall is, it, you know, like we were saying previously, and I'm glad that you brought him up last week. I remember hearing about it. I was like, yeah, I'm glad he just mentioned Brees Hall because You know, the big thing about Brees Hall is I I think Brees Hall is not a player that when you watch him run the football, you're not going to watch what he does and go, that was pretty. It's not it's not aesthetically beautiful. Okay, he's not going to be making these most incredible dramatic cuts. I'll give you a guy that everybody's very high on. That's not aesthetically pretty to watch. Max Borgie. Go watch Max Borgie. Max Borgie can make some great cuts, but a lot of what he does so well is because he can make excellent cuts, but they're not beautiful. You don't see this dramatic change of direction. It's very much like a joystick when you watch him play. He's able to make very, very good and abrupt turns, sink his, you know, he's able to sink his center of mass, make cuts at speed. It, 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 there's nothing pretty about it, but it's so effective and so very well-timed that when you get that type of mixture that a mixture of explosive strength and timing, which is blended together by the perception and action coupling of things unfolding on the field, unfolding in front of him, being able to adapt. When you see a player capable of doing that, you get what Brees Hall and Max Borgie do. And they do it very effectively. They can both catch the football. They can both make runs interior and outside. They have great, great perception of pursuit angles of defenders. They also have the speed to absolutely demolish pursuit angles and beat guys that they know they're faster than. They can beat them on the edge. They can beat them on the angle. So there's no opportunity for players to catch them. But Max Borgie and Brees Hall are very similar to me. If you go watch the two of those guys run, they're not going to be aesthetically pretty, but they're going to be able to put up numbers because... Again, as Paul just so eloquently went through in detail, it's not about the production. It's about what you're doing. It's not about, it's not about what you're, it's not about the numbers you're putting up. It's how you're doing it and in what situations you're capitalizing on. Are those situations representative of what you're going to see in the NFL? Go and watch Brees Hall. And I think you go watch Max Borgie. You're going to see a lot of instances where they're able to stop. And that's something that friend of the show, Sean Mitchell from, um, emergentmovement.com, uh, that's where 
uh, Sean kind of really made a big point in his articles, which I can't, I can't emphasize enough are such great reads, um, over at footballbeyondthestats.com. Um, that he, he always mentions how a player's ability to start and stop is very interesting, specifically stopping. Watching how a player can decelerate rapidly, especially at the running back position, watching if they can decelerate and stop on a dime becomes very, very abruptly um, important when you look at some of the scenarios that running backs get into. And I can remember vividly watching Max Borgi and Brees Hall get into situations where they have multiple pursuit, um, multiple players on pursuit, and they actually have to stop on a dime and then they can change direction almost at a perfect 90 degrees by actually rotating or cutting off their own body. They're able to get almost 90 degrees perpendicular to their initial angle of attack. They're able to do that and get back up to speed pretty quickly. So again, it's not going to look like Barry Sanders, but that doesn't mean it's not effective. And these guys are extremely effective. And Brees Hall is one of those guys. And I was really, really excited to see him to start to emerge. He can catch the football. He can run the football. And again, going back to the notes that we put up on him on the, on the, uh, on Twitter, you know, basically what I said about him was that long story short, as a receiver, he displays functional route running, good hands and the coordination to immediately threaten as a runner after the catch. He has an aggressive demeanor and he has the ability to be a good pass protector as time emerges. I basically see him as somebody that's going to immediately be a lead committee running back within zone schemes for the potential to be a scheme versatile starter. A guy who I think could eventually start no matter what scheme you give him, he'll be effective. And that's where we had him. And we had a, a whole bunch of other things that I'm not going to get into. You can go ahead and take a look at that profile. But Brees Hall is outstanding. And Paul, I also just mentioned right now, Max Borgie is another guy that I'm falling in love with in a very similar way. Max Borgie's very good. You know, I didn't really appreciate how good he was until I started watching some of the different, you know, weekly highlights and things that they put up about him. Um, I, he's, he's extremely good. I really do enjoy the way he runs. He has incredible good ability to stop on a dime, change directions. He's got that perception and action ability that we look for, that ability to perceive, process, and understand what's happening on the field and adjust as time unfolds. He's a very big player to keep on your radar. If he's available in leagues, he's a guy that I'm going after. I think Jamar Chase, Max Borgi, these are guys that are on my list of players to go get. Jerion Ely is another player I'm going to get. Um, if it wasn't for the concussion, Paul, um, he would have been playing, you know, this past week, you know, but he wasn't able to. Um, so he looks like he'll be back this upcoming week. Another player I think you guys should be aware of and on the Auburn side, DJ Williams, a guy who you should definitely be aware of. The freshman is 5'10", 216 pounds. And against LSU, um, he had 13 attempts for 130 yards. Uh, good for two rece- and two receptions for 21 yards. Um, he's a guy that I think you should be aware of as well. Um, in addition to that, uh, I do think Justin Fields and this week when they guys, when these guys played against Wisconsin, we had a chance to see Justin Fields under pressure. And, um, I think stock up on that. I think stock up on Justin Fields. I think he definitely showed that he was challenged at, in that first half. I think he definitely, the pressure was getting to him. He had to make some plays with his legs. The, you know, the weather wasn't really conducive, you know, with being outstanding in terms of throwing the football, but he managed and adjusted and he weathered the storm and he got better in the second half as that game went on. That was really, I think, Justin Fields really first test test in terms of being in a situation where he was really, really, really moved off his spot. 
And you know what we saw? We saw that he's actually more comfortable throwing off his spot. So I actually think he's more comfortable moving, which is exactly what he showed in high school. And another guy stock up for me and a guy to pay attention to is Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon Ross St. Brown better be a player. If he's not owned in your league, he's a player that I'm all over everywhere I can. I want to get Amon Ross St. Brown on my team. He had five receptions for 55 yards, as well as three attempts as a rusher for 50 yards and a touchdown. This is a guy who can score with the ball every single way. Imagine if DJ Moore was a better route runner coming out of Maryland. Okay, so imagine if you're talking about DJ Moore, more well-refined receiver. I think Amon Ross St. Brown is that evolved version of him. I think Amon Ross St. Brown could be, if this year, if he was in the class this year, Paul, I think he's a top 10 receiver. That's how good he would be. I, I think you're right. I love his overall game and his route running ability. I think he's a guy that next year is going to be, I mean, listen, next year's class is going to be an elite wide receiver class too. And, and I think he's very much going to be in the mix, uh, as being one of the top, uh, receivers in the country. When we talk about guys next summer and we're previewing, you know, the 2021 draft, I think he's very much going to be in the mix. So let's take this over to the tail of the tape as we take a look to, to week 10 in terms of some of the key matchups prospects that we have our eyes on. Uh, first, game I, I just have to, wait, I got I got to say this. I love how Paul suddenly, he suddenly just texted me. He's like, do you know, you said Ohio state LSU, I think three times tonight. And I was like, did I, and I'm thinking to myself, yes, I did. Yes. For all of you people out there, I am not ill. I am not ill. I, I did say that. I did say that by complete and utter accident. So I avail myself to all the scrutiny. May may everything rain down upon me. Sorry, guys. But yes, I know Ohio State and LSU did not play. I, I For some reason, I just kept equating LSU and Auburn in my mind as being Ohio State and LSU. And I'm just like, yeah, that that didn't happen. So. <laughs> I thought I thought I, I thought I misheard the first time, and then the second time you mentioned it, I was like, wait a minute, I gotta I got I gotta send Matt a quick message. Yeah. Sorry, now. sorry, everybody. My head, my head was, my head's there, my heart's there. Well, listen, maybe, maybe that Go Buckeyes. Is, maybe that is a foreshadowing of what we could. That's see what I was doing in the semifinals or the play or the national championship. That's right. That's right. I was sending. I was sending the committee a, a subtle, premonition. A, subtle, a premonition. Yeah. It's on your mind that that could be the foreshadowing of the future semifinal well, I, I, national I mean, championship. Game. You know, between now and next Tuesday, the committee is going to be listening to this episode, so <laughs> they're going to have to get caught up in order to get their first rankings out. So obviously, they got to put them at either one and four or two and three, so yeah. we can literally see yeah. the current matchup: Ohio State, LSU. You see what type of guy I work with, everybody. This is the type <laughs> of guy I work with. He texts me. He didn't even call me out. He sends me a little bit. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul, for not totally embarrassing me. Sorry, everybody. I my head is my head is here. My heart's here. Go Buckeyes. Go Tigers. I don't know what I was thinking about, but yeah. But all all be told, I think the reason why those those names are so synonymous when I think of Ohio State, when I think of LSU, when I think of Auburn, is because again they have some of the most exciting players in the country. All three of those teams. So that's really why they on a Debbie front on a, on a very much a college football landscape in terms of draft, those teams right now are incredibly exciting. So really LSU and Ohio state are the ones I just keep, 
keep there keep swirling in my mind. So thank you, Paul. That that's the man right there. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, listen, th- those teams in general just, you know, we constantly, constantly talk about these teams because they're just always on the radar. They're in the national title picture. There's so many high level draft eligible prospects. I mean, we've seen, you know, Ohio State Wisconsin was a recently big game. LSU Auburn was a recently big game. We're looking forward, you know, to Ohio State Penn State, Ohio State Michigan, LSU uh versus Alabama. There's there's so many games on the horizon with these teams that we're constantly look forward to these games and talking about these teams that it's very easy uh I think to sometimes, you know, misremember or, you know, in terms of things that happen or things that are on the horizon. Uh but with that said, this week I don't think there's that monstrous game but I did I did write down a handful of games that I'm intrigued from a prospect perspective. The first one doesn't seem like a game that would be circle it. I, I'm going to watch Michigan-Maryland for, for two reasons. I want to see how Michigan plays after a big win last week. I expect them to win this game easily. But I, I want to I see Zach Charbonnet, the running back. I want to see the Michigan wide receivers, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Tariq Black, Nico Collins. And then I, I can't quit Anthony McFarland. I know he hasn't gotten a big, big workload for Maryland, but I love his explosiveness. I love his acceleration. So I want to see McFarland and see if he can get anything going against the Wolverines. Nebraska-Purdue. I mean, we don't talk about him too often. Often, you know, but I mean, talking about a couple guys in the in the Devi community. I mean, quarterback Adrian Martinez from Nebraska, Rondell Moore at, a, at the wide receiver out of Purdue. You know, so those are a couple guys right there that make watching that Nebraska Purdue game uh, worth its investment. Georgia Florida, how did Jake uh, from and the and the whole Georgia offense look against that? Uh, stiff Florida defense uh, that, you know, stifles people. So how to uh, be interested to see, especially from, you know, because the last time, you know, we, we, we saw him, he was struggling against South Carolina. So this will be a big test for him. Uh, Miami, Florida state. I know it doesn't have the appeal that it once upon a time had, but when, when Matt and I grew up, this was one of the must see games on TV of the season. I mean, these were two teams that were Big time rivals in the state of Florida with so much NFL talent. And this game used to have ramifications on like a, I don't know, pick a game. Uh, you know, as we look at Alabama, Georgia now or Alabama, LSU, when both are good, that's basically what Miami, Florida State used to be. Uh, so still guys, I'm excited to watch Brevin Jordan, exciting young tight end there at Miami. Cam Akers, we already talked about, Tamarine Terry. Uh, so still want to have close eyes on that game. Utah versus Washington. Zach Moss has been back the last couple of weeks, getting back into the swing of things. Uh, Jacob Eason moving up draft boards, maybe even pushing himself over to Jake Fromm's and maybe even the Justin Herberts of the world. That's that, that buzz has been out there. And then Oregon USC, we already talked about the USC wide receivers having a really strong year. Interested to see how they do this week. And then Oregon, Justin Herbert in this environment, uh, see how he performs. So Matt, those are the things that kind of stand out. Anything you want to piggyback off of anything that really has you excited for this weekend or anything that I might've missed that, that you have circled. Yeah, no, I just two games. Uh, Ohio State and LSU, I think, is going to be a great game. Um, no, I'm just kidding. No, um, I think I think uh, Ole Miss and Auburn uh, is one game that I'm really circling for me because I do want to see what Jerrion Ely does look like when he comes back. I do want to see how Matt Corral, how that's how that's all going. I want to see what that looks like at Ole Miss, whether or not he's going to end up getting you know the reps that he wants. 
Um, also another game that just kind of continues to intrigue me a little bit. And we kind of, we, I don't think we didn't mention it, but TCU and Oklahoma State is one that I at least want to watch um, for Jalen Rieger and Tylen Wallace. I would like to see how those guys play against one another. Um, it's a little bit of a track meet there, but it's interesting. And Paul, just piggybacking on what you said about Miami, Florida State, to, to add to that, it looks like um, you know a, a favorite of mine, Jaron Williams, is it may end up getting the start uh, again um, because even though it seems like Miami went from uh, certainty to be very good this year to now like not really sure what we have and I, I still really like Jaron Williams I uh, you know it, it may not end up panning out the way I want <laughs> and um and that is what it is but um it, it sounds like he may make a little bit of a, a of a an offer to start for that game so we'll see how that ends up playing out if he does get the start and that's it Paul so I mean like those are the main guys that I'm looking at in the main uh games that I'm looking forward to yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of not that big monster game like an Auburn no. LSU, uh, but at the same time a lot of intriguing matchups, a lot of prospects that we'll have our eyes on for Week Ten this uh, this weekend. So let's close it out with a quick NFL rookie report for Week Eight, basically the halfway point of the NFL season now. You know, Week Eight, Week Nine, whatever you want to call it, the halfway point. But a lot of these rookies have played seven or eight games now uh, at the quarterback position. Daniel Jones played his best game since his first performance against Tampa Bay, uh, 28 of 41, 322 yards and four touchdowns. I continue to be impressed with his ball placement and his accuracy and his ability uh, to stand tall in, in the face of pressure. Has it led to him holding onto the ball some too much at times and let the turnovers for sure. But it's rare to see a rookie quarterback standing tall in the pocket and throwing with such precision in terms of his overall ball placement uh, and putting it, leading the receivers, putting it where only his receivers can make a play. I was very impressed with him. Uh, and then the only other really thing I want to talk about at the quarterback, obviously Kyler Murray struggled this week against the Saints, uh, kind of expected there, uh, part of the growing pains and process of an up and down uh, season for a quarterback. Dwayne Haskins, he had a, he came in last Thursday night for the second half for uh concussed uh, Case Keenum. And I know twice now Dwayne Haskins has been thrusted into the game in the middle of the game, but man, you watch him play and we kind of knew that he wasn't ready and he kind of needed a red shirt year, but you'd like to think that you would see a little glimmer, a little hope. And there's this nothing. And then you hear in the background. And again, we don't know how much is true and how much is noise. Him, he's not learning the playbook. Adrian Peterson like had a conversation with him afterwards and said it's time to get to work. You got to have a better command of the playbook and the huddle. I don't know what's true and what's not, but it does. I, I bring it up and has no impact on whether or not right now he's going to be a good quarterback in the future for Dynasty or for the Redskins in general. But I bring it up because I do think it, it speaks volumes that we really, really know so little when we're talking about these guys for the NFL draft process. We go on non-coaches film, cut-ups, and, and, and watching games live you know, on the broadcast coverage, and that's all we're basing our decisions on. But it, it it's so much more than that at the NFL landscape. And Matt and I were fans of Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins was almost the consensus, you know, top quarterback until the whole Kyler Murray, you know, hoopla came to, came to fruition, you know, but there was so much Dwayne Haskins support uh, from the draft Twitter community, including myself and Matt. Yeah. And it, it, it's just remarkable that 
we couldn't figure out why the Giants were out on him so early in the process. Like we were baffled by it. That from the combine in early March, there were reports that the Giants were out. They had no interest in Dwayne Haskins. And if the stuff that's out there is true, his work lack of work ethic, uh, a dad that's heavily involved in like the entertainment industry, uh, if 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 laziness, some of this stuff that's out there. And again, we have no idea if it's true. But if any of that came across to the Giants in their interviews and their meetings with Dwayne Haskins and talking to people from Ohio State or people that have worked with Dwayne Haskins, it makes sense why they were out. You can't, in New York City and the media and, and everything that came with it, it just wouldn't have worked. And it's not the type of player you want leading your franchise. And, and I say it because I think it does resonate with how little we really get in the total picture of, of what the NFL teams are doing and why sometimes us and draft the rest of draft Twitter and this person, that person thoughts are so different than what the NFL might think. Cause we know such a small part of it, Matt, any quick thoughts on the quarterbacks and then I'll kind of rattle off a few other names altogether. Well, forgive me if I'm wrong, Paul, but Ryan Finley might be seeing a start soon. Yes, that's, Ryan, that's the word on the street. Yes, so Ryan Finley, thank you for bringing that up. Ryan Finley's going to get an opportunity. My guess is they give him the rest of the season to kind of see what he has, see if he could be that game manager type and run the system that Zach Taylor wants. You know, listen, Jared Goff, you know, obviously big difference between Jared Goff and, and, and Ryan Finley in terms of draft pedigree, but – you can look at Ryan Finley and, and and look at him as a guy who can orchestrate an offense and, and be a game manager type. And I think Zach Taylor wants to give him the rest of the season to kind of see what he has in him. Because the Bengals might be staring at an 0-16 or 1-15 season, and they want to know what they have in this kid because they're probably going to be in the quarterback market. But maybe they find out Ryan Finley could be a good backup. Maybe there's more than meets the eye, and maybe they have the first pick in the draft, and they want to take the defensive end phenom, Chase Young, and they think that Ryan Finley could be a good starter if they go that route. So we're going to get a chance to see Ryan Finley. Garner Minshew, really impressive performance this week. It'll be very interesting to see if uh, Nick Foles gets his job back for this year. And what about the long-term picture? Nick Foles signed like a four-year deal there. Uh, pretty hefty price tag. Probably can't get out of it without a significant cap hit for a couple of years. But Garner Minshew has kind of shown that he belongs and maybe the Jaguars have fallen into a late-round quarterback prospect that could legitimately be an average to above-average NFL starter. So that'll be something we're following closely. So if I kind of take the take it to the rest of the skill players, a couple guys stood out this week. And after I run through, Matt, pick and choose who you want to talk about. David Montgomery got his heaviest workload of the year and, and looked his best uh, 27 carries 135 yards and one touchdown. He's just one of those guys. I think the more work you give him, the better he looks, he wears down defenses. He seems to get stronger as the game goes on. Chicago finally really invested him being the focal point of that game. And, and he Montgomery responded with a really impressive performance. Uh, Darrell Henderson starting to get more touches and be more of that backfield. Go by Darrell Henderson now uh, because I think, I think this year has foreshadowed that the old Todd Gurley, the guy who dominated fantasy football and dominated the NFL, I'm not sure we ever get that guy back again. I truly don't believe that. So I think now's the time before Darrell Henderson has a 12-carry, 140-yard, two-touchdown game. See if you can go get him right now for a mid-to-late second-round rookie pick. 
I think I don't think you'll be disappointed if you can do that. Devin Singletary, people still are waiting for the breakout for him, and he still can wrestle away significant touches away from Frank Gore. I my feelings on Devin Singletary have always been he's a complimentary player. That I I don't think that he's the long term guy with. Josh Allen in that backfield. I think he could be a part of a, a tandem, but I think people might be disappointed in terms of what Devin Singletary could be long-term uh, at the receiving things. Two guys, and they're under the radar guys. Deontay Johnson continues impressive game on Monday Night Football. Obviously, the play was a broken play for the big touchdown. But we we talk about Deontay Johnson because Matt and I were big fans. If, if you guys are regular listeners, every time it was – Give me a give me an under the radar guy. Give me your submarine player. Give me this. Give me that when we do our tier shows. Matt and I were big fans of the Toledo guys. And and Cody Thompson hasn't gotten much of an opportunity yet, but we really liked Deontay Johnson. He was one of those guys that we thought could be a day three player that emerged to be a long-term starter down the line. Now, Deontay Johnson stunningly went much earlier than Matt and I expected, but I saw something yesterday, and I think it speaks volumes of how different the NFL is compared to general consensus. Pittsburgh Steelers, who have done a pretty good job drafting wide receivers and developing wide receivers over the year, Deontay Johnson, wide receiver one on their board. They love this kid. So when they took him, they thought they were getting a steal. They thought he was a round even better than than what they – they thought he was a round one type player. That's how much they loved him. He's starting to emerge, and it's unfortunate because it seems they kind of been coming at the expense of James Washington, a guy who Matt and I both liked as well, that I think with Deontay Johnson emerging, with Juju Smith there, I kind of feel like Juju uh, – I kind of feel like because of Juju Smith and Deontay Johnson, James Washington is never really going to get an opportunity to emerge there. And then Darius Slayton. Right now, inconsistent, but you continue to see plays that the Giants got a steal in the fifth round. They're asking him this week he won two jump balls. That's not even, that, that's just another part of his game that he's checking off. We already know he has that vertical speed to beat people deep. Now he's showing body control and ball skills, the ability to go up in high point and out-muscle people for a ball. Did that twice this week. Could have even had a third touchdown. I think he's a guy you can go by him probably for a late third-round rookie pick, especially when people look at him and say he might be option five on the team when, when Shepard and Tate and Barkley and Ingram are there. I think in I think he has a legitimate chance to be a number two or number three wide receiver on the Giants depth chart sooner rather than later. Maybe not this year, but in next year or the year after that. Uh, so stock up on him. And then no offense, getting more opportunity, especially with the Emmanuel Sanders trade. But I'll say this about no offense. He's got to play a lot better. I watched that game last uh I think it was last Thursday or two Thursdays ago, and he was just dropping passes left and right. He's had a lot of battles with drops this year. There was already some refinement and development issues in terms of his overall route tree and route understanding and route running. But I thought in terms of just straight catching the ball, I didn't think that was going to be an issue. But right now he's getting more and more work, which is nice to see, but he needs to start – he needs to start – showing a little bit more production on that workload that he's getting uh, to really get me excited about him long-term for fantasy football. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just to pivot off that, I mean, Deontay Johnson, going back to that point, that was a player that, you know, I, we were so adamant that people pick up during the season, if you could wrestle them away from somebody. And I don't know if that's ever going to happen now, um, but I still think it's worth trying, you know, because there might be people that are out saying, you know, when this is Ben's team again, you know, who we'll see who the second wide receiver is. That's that's a fair point. So I, I do think that, you know, if you can go and get him now, you do it now. 
And also, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to throw out a player that I think people need to pay attention to if you're not paying attention to him right now, and that's Irv Smith Jr. I mean, I I went and you know Paul can validate this. I even went in my own league after saying you know a couple weeks ago that I would pay a third round pick for him. Well, I paid a third round pick in 2020 and a third round pick in 2021 for him. Um, I'm that high on him. I think that he's a player that will be uh, a potential you know good player at the position of tight end, a very good receiver. Every time he does, every time he's on the field, all he does is catch the football. All he does is look good for the Vikings. And the Vikings still don't really have an adequate third wide receiver, really. And I think that there's a lot of a lot of opportunity for Irv Smith Jr. to work his way back in. So I, I'm just I'm just kind of I'm just kind of on that bandwagon, Paul. And also, um, even though this is kind of a you know, even though this guy is kind of deep in the kind of under the radar guys, if you have very deep benches and we start backfilling those benches with players, some players that are probably on the waiver wire that you can go and grab and still hold on to. I don't think the Washington Redskins are even beginning to emerge as a finished product. I'd stash Kelvin Benjamin. I mean, Kelvin Harmon. I would stash, I would stash Kelvin Harmon because you know what? They get a quarterback all of a sudden. Look, go look at what Kelvin Harmon has done. Every time he's on the field, he catches a ball. All he does is catch the ball. So I'm, I'm not quitting Kelvin Harmon just because. The, you know, the Washington Redskins are a little bit of a train wreck right now. And then the last one I would throw out there is Calvin Ridley. I mean, again, does not Calvin Ridley, excuse me, Riley Ridley. I guess, sorry, guys, LSU, Ohio State, Calvin Ridley, <laughs> Kelvin Harmon. You know, we're, we're just all over the place. But Riley Ridley, Riley Ridley is a guy, another guy. Just stash him. Just stash him. Because, again, that's another wide receiver core and offensive unit that just looks in disarray. So when you have offensive units in disarray, I think there's opportunities for dramatic self-organization once they have a you know established quarterback or they have an established uh, offensive coordinator where they can start making moves. So those are just two guys that I would backfill my roster with if you have the room to do it. Absolutely, and I really like the Riley Ridley call because Trey Burden hasn't emerged over the last two years with Chicago into the, the playmaker I think they thought they were going to get in terms of a receiving tight end. Anthony Miller's kind of taking a little bit of a step back this year after a really successful rookie year. Taylor Gabriel's probably not locked in long-term for there. Javon Wims has had some moments, uh, but nothing that locks him into anything. So when you really look at their pass catchers, it's Allen Robinson, and then it's up for grabs. So maybe Anthony Miller shows what he did his rookie year, but maybe it is an opportunity down the line for Riley Ridley, who I know both you and I were fans of his game, and especially his route running, and you know thought he could be that, you know, again, Again, comparing him to college, not NFL, but I saw a lot of similarities between college Riley Ridley and college Mike Thomas from Ohio State uh, in terms of play style, in terms of what they can do. Maybe a big slot, be a guy that works that intermediate parts of the field, not going to be a guy who's going to be a burner and win down the field vertically. I think Riley Ridley could fill that void for that team and maybe be a very functional big slot or, you know, outside Z possession style wide receiver. Yeah. And, and just one more name to throw out there. I think the window is going to be closing quite soon on Preston Williams. I think if you haven't really seen any Preston Williams film yet, you really should check it out. Um, he's developing, guys. I mean, he really is developing. Watch his film from beginning of the year to now. He's getting better. And he was a player that a lot of people said the only thing holding him back from being a stud um, really was 
uh, just just some of the off the field concerns. And I think it was really evident in his game, even you know when he was playing in college. I think it was evident that the talent was there. Um, but again, it was the total package that was being drafted. There were concerns, and you know I don't think he was as necessarily as polished as a player as some of the other guys that were there. Um, but he's fallen into an opportunity where he's gotten the opportunity. I think that window is going to close soon. Yeah, absolutely. Another great under-the-radar guy. So there it is, guys, the NFL Rookie Report for Week 8 in the books. Hopefully you guys enjoy these seasonal shows. Uh, we try to hit on a lot of different topics, talk about a lot of different players from the draft-eligible guys to the underclassmen, and then checking in on those NFL rookies and also obviously looking ahead uh, to the upcoming week in the college football season. If you enjoy what Matt and I have been putting out here on the podcast, please get over to the website, ssfootball.com. It's the quickest way to get over there. Uh, check out the premium content tab. Uh, four premium notebooks, all four for $9.99. You get the 2020 Scouting Notebook, all our player profiles, uh, strengths, weaknesses, how they win, uh, all that stuff, solve problems, you know, NFL draft projection, fantasy spin. Uh, we update for, during the year and then more, much bigger update after the season. You get the rankings notebook, which has all our different types of rankings, Devi, draft eligible, dynasty rookie, freshman, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then in late March or through mid April, you get the, freshman notebook which has you know thoughts on many of the incoming top freshmen and then the draft projections notebook as matt calls it the tv guide the best resource to have open on draft weekend thoughts on over 400 players how we expect them to go off the board not our take but gathering thoughts from all the great minds in the in the industry and the community and predicting how we expect it to go on draft weekend you get all of that for 9.99 if you can't check out the premium notebooks please uh, get over and rate review and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast it does dramatically help us as well so on behalf of matt on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. Sunday.